0: The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. It really is a a bittersweet morning, and because I wish we could keep Richard, you know? If I had it my way, I would love for him to stay here, and our church is stronger and has been served so well by by having you guys here. Um, It reminds me of an Acts 14, when the church at Antioch is filled with Studs, Paul and Barnabas and other guys are there preaching and serving together. And then the Holy Spirit says, Okay, send Paul and Barnabas out and get, get them out. I, I want them to go plant churches. And they plant Philippi and they keep traveling around and churches are planted. And that's what's happening here. The Lord is saying, Okay, let's, let's keep going. And now we're, you and I are no Paul and Barnabas by, by any stretch of the imagination, but we're who we are. And the Lord's at work. And when I was ordained almost six years ago now, it was a very uh, unconventional time. Uh, the church was not healthy. Things were not going well. Uh, we were replanting the church. It had been around for about two years. so It was called Redeemer Bible Church at the time, and we changed the name to Redeemer Church. And typically at an ordination service, uh, like we're doing today, someone like, like a mentor or another pastor kind of gets up and gives a pastoral charge. Uh, I didn't have that grace in my ordination. I actually preached my own ordination service. So... There's always that that could happen. So we're on a better track already today. And I didn't want Richard to have that same grace. So I'm so thrilled to be here. It's an honor to have trained you and to be with you and to walk alongside with you and to pour into you. And it's an honor to watch what God, our great God and Savior, is going to do in your ministry, has done, and will keep doing. And with that, I love this passage. It's actually the same passage that I preached at my ordination. I bet that sentence has never been said by anyone ever. I want to preach at your ordination, the passage I preached at my ordination, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So please take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 or your phone or look on with somebody, whatever. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And today's sermon will be a little different. I'll I'll, I'll be kind of talking about ministry in general and, and what the Lord does in churches. But really, it applies to all of us as we think about the churches, maybe you're looking for a church, the kind of church you should be looking for. And maybe you're desiring pastoral ministry. You're interested in being a pastor. Maybe you feel like you want, you want to plant churches. Well, this is a great word that you need to hear as well. And Let's stand together in honor of Christ who speaks to us from his word through our brother, the apostle Paul, and by the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse one. And the Spirit says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed When I think about this passage and even when I think about it from five years ago, it's become very true that this passage is a great summary of the pastor's ministry and the pastor's sanity. What is the ministry of a pastor and how can a pastor stay sane? And so Richard, verse one, having this ministry by the mercy of God, you have received this ministry by his mercy. It's not from me, It's not from the Redeemer elders. It's not from Southwestern Seminary. Rather, it's from the supernatural work of the living God that you are entrusted with the message of the gospel. Your ministry is a ministry of mercy. And as soon as we talk about, oh, this is a mercy ministry, this is a mercy ministry, every ministry in a sense, every church plant, every sermon, every counseling session, every evangelistic encounter, everything that you guys will do at King's Church that is in accordance with the message of the gospel is a ministry of mercy to Conroe. Because you have received this ministry by the mercy of God, and now your ministry is to make known the mercy of God. I love in Titus 3.5, he says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And as you have received this mercy to be in ministry, to be a church planter, now your message, your church, this plant is now a ministry of mercy, of the gospel, of the message of grace and mercy offered to sinners by his bloody death, by his resurrection, a universe-altering resurrection of King Jesus. This is the ministry. Proclaiming it from the pulpit, proclaiming it from the couch, proclaiming it in the coffee shop, in the counseling session, wherever you find yourself, that your ministry is according to God's mercy and it's to be about God's mercy. And when you have been immersed into God's mercy, when you know his mercy for us sinners, and when you stand in the pulpit on Sundays, and you realize that if I've received this by mercy, not because I deserve it, or not even because I'm particularly good at it, it's just because God's mercy, your ministry will take on a tone of mercy, and you won't lose heart, because you know you've received it from the Lord. You won't lose heart when church planting seems impossible when it seems incredibly difficult, when things are not going well, you won't lose heart because you know the Lord is with you. And when you know the Lord is with you, you don't need gimmicks, you don't need shticks, you don't need slick marketing, you don't need all the powerless tactics and techniques that many, many pastors sell out for and that many churches cater to. As Paul says, if you look at verse 2, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. He said in the first verse, we received it by the mercy of God. We don't lose heart. Things are difficult. Things are challenging. He's being persecuted. He says, but I renounce all these disgraceful, underhanded. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Paul says he refused to tamper. That word is the same word used when someone would go buy like a jug of wine in the first century, and they'd grab it off the shelf, and there would already be some water in the bottom of the jug that they couldn't see. And then they'd go put some fresh wine in it. And they're jipping the people buying the wine. They've tampered with the vessel. Now it's watered down. They've been ripped off. Paul says, I refuse to rip people off. I refuse to tamper with God's word. I refuse to alter the message. I refuse to hide, to alter, to hem, to cut, to put a cultural spin on God's word. So resolve now. The whole launch team, all of you, resolve now as you already have. But do it again to renounce those ways because you'll be tempted because you'll see a church in the area, a new church plant comes in and they're doing those things and oh, if we could do those things, then maybe more things would go better. Maybe things would improve. But That's never a strategy of the gospel. Another way you could say it would be, say the hard things. Preach through books of the Bible. Preach a sermon on head coverings just for fun, like I did last week. I remember the first sermon I ever gave was on circumcision. That's like throwing you into the deep end. You just Go. And so just say what the Bible says. It's easier to say hard and biblical things when you're standing behind this. I don't don't worry about you here. I don't worry about you in any capacity. But as a way of reminder, it will be more difficult in the counseling room. It will be more difficult in the front yard when you're evangelizing your neighbor. You'll be tempted. You'll be pressured. You'll feel the awkwardness. You'll have people who will claim to be Christians that will challenge you on the Bible, challenge you on, can we really believe it? Is it really true? What Did Adam really exist? I mean, all things that have happened to me. And in love and in grace and in mercy, you stick to the open statement of the truth. Let the text say what it means and mean what it says. And remember, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not wrestling against that angry person at your church who always sends you angry emails. You're not wrestling against the person in the grocery store who said they kind of liked your church, but they thought they were, you were too young. You're, you're not wrestling against the cults. You're not, you're not wrestling against these things. You have an enemy, and he is against you. Lucifer is against you. You can see in verse four, in their case, the God of this world, little g, God, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you have an active enemy in Conroe slithering about, deceiving and tempting and blinding and seducing, looking for seeds to steal and for people to destroy. So remember your battle. It's not against someone in the community. It's against the God of this world. And he is against your open proclamation of the crucified son of God, risen on the third day, inviting all to come to him for salvation. He's blinded them from clearly seeing. So what do we do? There's no power in having a fog machine on Sunday mornings. There's no power in having a slick service. There's no power in having good integration systems and helping visitors get connected. There's no power in systems. Starbucks has systems, but no one's getting raised from the dead there. But here at the local church, people get raised from the dead. So what's Paul's strategy? What should King's Church do? What should you do week in, week out? Verse five, we proclaim. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So the strategy of the gospel of the apostles is to preach the gospel. Not sermons that really speak to the culture, not sermons that will draw a crowd. Our goal in church planning is never to draw a crowd. It's never just to start a service, but to plant a church. Sermons like nine ways to raise kids, four ways to live like Solomon, which sounds like a terrible idea. If our sermon titles begin to sound like the headlines of grocery store checkout magazines, God help us. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, Jesus as Lord. So we get out of the way and week in, week out, and everybody on the launch team, when they're evangelizing everything, you get out of the way, we proclaim Jesus as Lord, Jesus, 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 again and again and again. And I love the name of the church. I mean, the whole ministry, the whole pastor's ministry, really the whole ministry of the church is King's Church. Remember the power of that apostrophe. This is what could like derail the whole church when that apostrophe becomes irrelevant. It's his, not yours, not anyone else's. We proclaim Jesus of Nazareth as the true and living God. Not just as some good teacher, not just as some kind man, but as the Savior of the world and as the only way to salvation, that he is Lord. There is no other way that he died in our place for our sins, that he rose again from the dead and that he truly is a Galilean and galactic emperor, that he is Lord of all. And so proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, as the Lord of mercy, as the living, breathing mercy of God, always proclaim Jesus. If you do anything, and really, I, only, I really only care about like one thing, that Jesus would be proclaimed from the pulpit to the couch. Never close your Bible without lifting up Jesus. This is his Bible. It will be his Bible after the sermon. I'm taking it for a test run. See, see how she handles. Never close this Bible without lifting up Jesus. Nailed to the cross. And then sometimes guys do that. They preach and they, they get Jesus to the cross. He's been crucified, but you got to get him off the cross, get him in that tomb, and then get him out three days later and then resurrected and reigning on the throne. Do that week in and week out. And even if like you sit down, like in the first couple months, you're going and you, you sat down after you preach and you go, oh, shoot, I'm, I think I don't, I think I forgot to preach the gospel. You tell the music guy, hold on, man, give me give me a minute. I got to get back up. I got to finish. Don't, don't ever walk away from it. Almost oh, we'll ruin the flow of the service. There is no service if there is no crucified and resurrected Christ. It wasn't a Christian service. And always remember your confidence rests not in your sermons, not in your prep, not in your well thought out theology, which you're a great thinker. You love the Lord and you love His Word. Your plans, your sermon series. It's easy to get caught up in all the side things of a church. But remember, Jesus is Lord. And the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, verse six, just as he did it in your heart, as he did it in my heart, as he did it in the hearts of many in this room. This is what we preach and pray for. This is what we long long for, verse six. We're ministering in dark places. And so the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what you want to see happen in every community, in every place. And hopefully you want to see that happen where you live and where you work. You want people to see the glory of Christ, that how amazing Jesus is, how incredible Jesus is, because everyone has some view of Jesus. Everyone in this room came in with some kind of conception of who Jesus is. And we want to tear those down and show them the real Jesus, who is the image of God, who is the glory of God, who is the great God and Savior. This is your ministry. This is the ministry of King's Church. And this is how you will remain sane talking about the pastor's sanity and how everyone on the launch team can help your pastor stay sane, keep him on track. Look at verse seven. We have this treasure, what treasure? The gospel in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So Richard, don't get down when you preach a bad sermon. It's gonna happen. Happens to me every week. Don't get all giddy when you preach a great sermon. Or don't get all giddy when something goes right at King's Church. Remember who the king is and who the clay pot is. Clay pots are everywhere. There's only one king. God picked you not because you're great or because I'm great, because we're clay pots. And he shows his amazingness by using and employing vessels like us. Charles Spurgeon, one of my great heroes, he was called now in church history as the Prince of Preachers. I think that's a disservice to him because he would probably just say, I'm just a jar of clay. I'm no prince. I'm just a jar of clay. Jars of clay don't live for the praise of men. They live to pour. They just pour. I've never had a great Coke Zero and thought, man, what a vessel that was. It's what's in what's being poured out. So just pour. Just be a little teapot here's your handle, here's my spout, and just let it go. That's your whole call, to show, and why does God do it this way? Look at what he says, to show, here's God's design, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So there should be an element in King's Church where people are unimpressed. I want people to be wildly unimpressed with our church. They're like, this place is, like, not very cool, great, great because the surpassing power belongs to God. That's what you want at Kings. There should be something about church planning and about pastoral ministry that is unexplainable. If everything can be explained, well, oh let me tell you why that happened, because we did this and we strategized that. It's not of the Holy Spirit. Don't take credit for things. Don't reverse engineer the supernatural work of God, because you can't. The surpassing power belongs to him. He did it. I'm blown away at some of the things that happened at this place. And people, other church planners ask, how'd y'all do that? I don't know. He did it. So create a culture in King's Church where it's clear and everyone on the launch team remembers the power lies with God. And if everyone on the launch team keeps looking to Richard too much, you guys keep looking to him for everything, you're putting too much pressure on a clay pot and it'll crack. He's just a clay pot, and so are you. Even as you endure hard times, as the church goes through hard seasons, God's grace, the risen Christ, will carry you. He'll show the surpassing power belongs to him. You will ask and you'll lay in your bed at night and you'll pray and go, Lord, please, would you change this? Would you make this happen? Would you take this person away? I think they're a wolf. I think they're hurting people. Lord, what can I do? I don't know. And you might hear a Galilean voice say to you, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Because look at verse eight. Here's what's headed your way. I hope you're encouraged by these next verses. We are afflicted in every way. You will be afflicted. I have personal issues, personal attacks, hateful letters. You'll have doubts. You'll have fear, but not crushed. You'll be afflicted, but you will not be crushed. Next phrase, you'll be perplexed. Did we make the right choice? Am I really supposed to do this? Did we pick the right location? What should I do with that person? I think I gave them too much leadership. I I gave them too much influence. I I thought they were with us. Why did they stab me in the back? You'll be perplexed, but not driven to despair. You'll be persecuted. It's coming. All of us. Everyone in this room in years to come, you will be persecuted. But, as Paul says, not forsaken. You will be struck down. You'll be knocked down a few pegs. Literally, is what that means. The valley of the shadow of death is real. But you will not, next phrase, be destroyed. For the Lord is your shepherd. He was already afflicted for you. And by his wounds you have been healed. He was already crushed for you in your place for your sins. And it was the Lord's will to crush him. The gospel is your sanity. The gospel you preach will be the gospel you need. It will will always be the stabilizing force in your life. You'll never, no Christian in this room will ever discover anything that gives more of an anchor, more of a steadfast hope, more of a solid rock than Christ himself. then what happens is verse 10. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So now you carry with you the death of Jesus because you've been crucified with Christ. And you carry now the life of Jesus because it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You die to self every day. Pastoral ministry is 10,000 different deaths. And Jesus himself will become more and more real to you as you live from his life. He'll become more precious. He'll become more amazing. He'll become more stabilizing for you. And when you model that for King's Church, when people see it and they see your life and they see you, being totally stabilized by Christ, they'll learn from you that Jesus is more than just any, okay, he handles my eternity, but Jesus is an all-encompassing Savior that he handles all of life. It's death for you, but life for them. And as you know the resurrection of the Lord, you can weather any storm because you know where you're headed. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So the chief aim of your life isn't planting a gospel-centered church. That is one of the aims. But the guaranteed destiny of your life is the presence of King Jesus. And that's where the whole focus of the church, and I hope that everyone at Redeemer is, is feeling that as well. Where are we headed together? Because Jesus raised from the dead, 14, He's raising us with him, and we're all going to be raised from the dead if we believe in him, and we're going to be with him forever. So, you keep that as your focus and as your aim that we're all going to be raised from the dead. And I hope we're all headed to his presence. So, you keep that as a focus when things aren't going as well as you planned. And especially keep that as the focus when things are going better than you planned. It's very easy when things are difficult to go, okay, we got to look to Jesus. When things are going well, That's when faith really becomes reality. Do I still look to him? And remember the hope, prayer, and the point of church planning. What did Paul tell the Corinthians here about his ministry? Look at the end of the beginning of 15. For it is all for your sake. He says, I did all this. I was afflicted and all these carrying the body of, the death of Jesus in my body. It was all for your sake. It's for them. His ministry was for the Christians in Corinth. And you will sacrifice and you will serve and you will preach and you'll equip the saints and you'll die every week and you'll prepare for hours, 20 hours on one 40-minute sermon and you see people fall asleep on Sundays and people are disinterested and you're like, what am I doing with my life, you know? Then you remember, it's all for their sake. You see how often this phrase came up, even in this, just this 18 verses? For their sake, look at Verse 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ says, Lord, with ourselves as your servants. Ah, there it is again. Wait, for Jesus' sake. Your servants for Jesus' sake. So this is happening. These two things happening at the same time. You're their servant for the fame of Jesus. You're not doing it just for them. You're not doing it just for kings. The aim isn't just people. The aim is the fame of Christ. You love them and you love him for his fame. In verse 11, he says, for the sake of Jesus. We're given over to death for Jesus' sake, for his fame. And then verse 15, for your sake. So all the best way to serve King's church is to serve the fame of Jesus, that they see that he is their joy, that their growth comes from him, that their life comes from him. And then what will always happen is verse 15. Look at verse 15. It's all for your sake, so that, here, here's what here's, Paul's like, here's what's going to happen. Here's why I do this, so that as grace extends to more and more people, this is church planning. As grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the great hope and prayer of church planning. The grace extending to more and more, it increases in thanksgiving to those who have received it. There will be people whose marriages are on the verge of divorce and they repent, grace extended, and they're thankful. Thank you, Lord. People who have been saved here coming out of the baptismal waters and they say, Thank you, Lord. This, and you'll be at Kings and you'll see people baptized and they'll come up, Thank you, Lord. Kids get saved, Thank you, Lord. I may see people in the church who've become believers and I see them and there's Thanksgiving now. This grace extending more and more and more. And it brings glory to God. That's all we're here for, to make much of Jesus. That's what you hope to see God's grace flowing through King's Church, intersecting with other people, seeing them evangelize, seeing them win people to Christ, and seeing the baptismal waters raised even higher than Conroe. So do not lose heart. It's the beginning of verse 16, so we don't lose heart. It's very hard, it's very challenging. Verse one, don't lose heart, verse 16, don't lose heart. And supposedly, Ernest Shackleton, when he was looking for men to go on a journey with him to the Antarctic Circle, he ran an ad in the paper And the ad read, a small little ad, and it just said, men wanted, hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, constant danger, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. You're on a hazardous journey. Low wages, long hours, safe return, guaranteed. Honor and recognition will not be yours. It will be enjoyed with King Jesus forever in his presence. So that's why you don't lose heart. Verse 16, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't get caught up in the things you see. Look to what is eternal. Richard, you're here today by the mercy of God. King's church is planted by the mercy of God. People will be saved by the mercy of God. Saints will grow by the mercy of God. An eternal weight of glory is headed your way. And pastor them toward that prize. And my last piece of pastoral advice, not ever, because I know we'll talk regularly, is just this morning. Remember Jesus Christ as Lord. That's really it. That's every, what everyone should hear today. And I know many of you are probably thinking, what in the world should I take away from all this? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And may King's Church bring great glory to King Jesus. And now it's my privilege. And I know I said in the first service. It sounds like I'm about to do a wedding now. It's my honor and my privilege to see you become ordained, not, not power not given me by the state of Texas, but by the Lord Jesus, for the elders to ordain you for the ministry. And so I'd like to invite you guys to come up um, and the rest of the King's Church launch team, if you guys wanna come up as well and, and surround them. And we'll, we'll pray. Go ahead, everybody. So it's so cool to have family members. Jessalyn's parents are here. They're going to be a part. Yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah, come on. Bill and, and Lynn. And then we have the Zapatas who've been here for about four years now. And we also have my good friend Justin Tubbs. We've known each other for like 15 years and reconnecting, and now he's joining up with them. Uh, Cliff and Terry Healy, been here for about a year. Now moving to Conroe. And all these kids all headed together. You guys, like, need a children's ministry now, immediately. Um, if anyone's interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you're, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I think I'd like to go. I think I'm interested. Hallelujah. Hit him up. He'll tell you exactly where to go, what time they're going to be meeting, and they would love to have you. And they would, be, they would be stronger if anyone from this body would be willing to go with them. I totally believe that. And then we also have, I think it's Royce. Yeah, Royce just moved from Louisiana. In the process of moving and came to Redeemer one Sunday, I think heard Richard online and thought, okay, I guess the Lord's calling us to go plant, to be a part of a church in Conroe. We're moving to Conroe. So, so wonderful to see you guys. And it's just such a thrill and an honor to have been with you. I'm so proud of you. And I think you guys are going to do great. The Lord's with you. It's going to be awesome. Holy Father, we thank you for the great grace you've given us in the blood of your son and in his life and in his throne of grace that we can come to that we may receive help in time of need. And so may the throne of grace be frequented by Richard and Jess and all the launch team. And may you do a great work. May many come to know you as they go and make disciples in Conroe, teaching people to observe all that you've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and remembering that you are with them always till the end of the age. So Lord, would you flip Conroe upside down? Would there be much joy in the city as Christ's blood is proclaimed, as his life is proclaimed, as forgiveness and hope and restoration and freedom and eternal life. Go from the pulpit, go from the launch team members, that King's Church would really be a place where it can be said, I met Jesus there. Jesus is there. Lord, we love you, and we look to you to do only what you can do as you use all of these jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to you. Help them, Lord. And we look forward to see all that you will do for your glory and for your namesake. And I can't wait to learn, to watch, to observe, and to join in the crowd of giving thanksgiving unto your glory. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.